0: Today, scientists are racing to make a vaccine against the coronavirus. Katrin Benhold on how that race is not just about creating the vaccine, but about which country will own it. It's Wednesday, April 1st.
2: So at the end of December, these scientists around the world were basically looking at this outbreak of this strange, mysterious illness in Wuhan, China. And at this time, the media, especially the Western media, isn't really paying attention to this thing yet. Wildfire emergency in Southeast Australia. Was killed in U.S. airstrikes in Iraq. Taking Sending things. the articles of impeachment over to the Senate. But scientists already beginning to puzzle through what this could be. It seemed like a respiratory thing. It reminded some of them of diseases like MERS or SARS and some of these other things that have come along in recent years. But at this stage, they're just kind of corresponding with each other on their social media saying, hey, what is this thing? And that's how this story begins for one doctor based in Germany. Lydia Ostfogels. Hi, Lydia. Bonjour. I don't, I don't know what language to speak to you, Lydia. This is Catherine. And Catherine, who is Lydia Ostfogels? Oh, this is good. English is good. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm so, so Lydia works for this German company called Curevac. They work on vaccines as well as cancer treatments, and they do molecular therapies. Mm-hmm. So and the take me back to the moment when you first heard about this new virus. Do you, do you remember that moment?
3: Yeah, I mean, because, of course, on my social media, I'm connected.
2: At the end of her Christmas holiday, Lydia was seeing these posts and she was wondering if this was maybe something she and her team could work on. And,
3: and you think like, oh, what is this? What is happening there?
2: Is that something that could work on, could make a vaccine on and do... For but at that stage, she couldn't because she didn't have the genetic sequencing of this virus. And actually, the same was true for scientists around the world who were wondering the same thing. And so they were all kind of just wondering and waiting. And then on January 10th, the sequencing was actually published by these Chinese scientists who put it on a public page for basically all the world scientists to see. So I got the message like, OK, we have a sequence so we can go ahead. This is kind of when the clock starts ticking, mm-hmm. but it's not a race yet. I mean, at that moment, it was not a pandemic. It was an outbreak in China. At this point, they didn't actually exactly know what they were racing against. So Mm. it was still kind of just a regular process. They draw up a presentation. So we were preparing these slides to present to say, okay, this is something we could do. And we think it's useful that we would do it. She was creating the slides for this presentation. And as she started, there was literally one death, one known death in China. And by the time that we went
3: to the meeting with the management, each day almost we had to update the number of case fatalities. And this was, I mean, this is something really I, I, I remember very well that, okay, additional people died. What well, is this is virus.
2: And that's only two and a half months ago. Yeah, yeah, that was January. Yeah, yeah Eventually, management greenlighted the project. This is in late January. The funding came through. So let's get going. And that's when they really got to work.
0: And what did that work look like in the beginning? What does it mean to create, from scratch, a vaccine?
2: So remember, basically what you're trying to achieve with a vaccine is you want to create something that mimics the pathogen, the virus. And you want to inject that into a healthy body so that that healthy body can read that information, understand what the pathogen looks like, and form antibodies to fight it and neutralize it. And, I mean, you
3: have surely seen... These pictures of the virus that everybody in the news and so on is always showing with this—I mean, it's like this ball with these uh, things that that stick out of it. Mm-hmm. Basically, this cute little ball with spikes, right? And that's actually the proteins that you have to neutralize with antibodies to fight the virus. And that's what you actually ask the cells of the of the human body to make.
2: I mean, it's the spikes, not actually the ball, that are bad.
0: So this whole project is about coming up with a vaccine that will enter the body, prompt an immune response, and that response will somehow de-spike the spikes of the coronavirus.
2: That's the idea. We're now in February. And as they're working on this, Well, over in the Philippines, the first coronavirus death outside of China on Sunday. The second death from coronavirus outside of mainland China. Hong Kong health officials saying a 39-year-old...
1: The potentially deadly
3: coronavirus has turned up in a new country this morning. Belgium reported
4: its first case.
2: Coronavirus is beginning to spread across the world. And CureVac puts this vaccine development ahead of any other projects.
0: So this is now becoming a major priority within this company. This is an urgent project.
2: Yeah. And they're not the only ones. You've got companies all over the world, in China, in the U.S., across Europe. Everybody is now looking at this as a high priority. So Lydia and her team basically are working on a number of prospective vaccines. They have these different combinations that they're trying out. This one, this one, this one, this one. And in early March, they're beginning to actually inject them into mice to see what the effect is.
3: As we always say, mice are not men. If something doesn't work in mice, then you don't even have to test it in men. because
2: and They narrow it down.
3: In the beginning, we had seven, and then we down-selected to four, and then we further down-selected
2: to two. Two sort of most promising prospective vaccines. And this is a time when the cases are spiking in Italy, the number of deaths are rising, including in Germany, where the lab is based, and they're going up in the US as well.
0: So this is basically now in Lydia's backyard?
2: It's now in our own backyard. Everybody is working from morning till evening and then having,
3: I mean, still trying to get some sleep because it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. We are not not yet
2: there, so we should not be exhausted now. She's being told by the government to work remotely. She has to sort of direct this team of lab scientists who are still going into the lab, working carefully and trying to practice social distancing. It is, it is a non-stop phone call from morning to evening, so you have to struggle to, to find the Time to run to the kitchen to, uh, to get something to eat. It's so, logistically you know, incredibly difficult, but it's also emotionally incredibly straining. She said every time she watches the news, it fills her with dread. And I see, ah, compared to
3: yesterday, now X people have died and X people are infected. I mean, just to, just to tell you, I never have nightmares. But now recently I was dreaming that I was sitting with my preclinical colleague and then there was a flock of bats it flew over our heads and then I woke up and I was thinking, no, am I really dreaming about this now wow. and that I'm going to vaccinate bats
2: too? So yeah, no, the sheer really strain crazy. and the stress of this work in the circumstances of an actual outbreak in her own country is intense. I mean, it, it must be tough. I mean, you're sort of living and as you just uh, uh, revealed, dreaming this Um I mean, I have to imagine that that comes with this sort of feeling of enormous responsibility. I mean, we've talked to a lot of doctors recently who've had very vulnerable moments, broken down, crying in hospitals, you know, with a flood of patients coming in, some of whom they can't help. I mean, is there anything like that happening with your colleagues?
3: As far as I know, not. And I think the difference is that if you see a patient coming in, that you know you will not be able to save because he is already so sick and, and you cannot save him and you see him dying under your hands. That's an enormous frustration. But our part of the work is to bring something to prevent that anybody ever has to live this. So that's not the same kind of emotional pressure, I would say. I mean, we have the pressure that we have to go quick because we have potentially something that can save this from happening. But we are building something that will give hope to the people
0: Katrin, you mentioned that Lydia and her team are testing potential vaccines in mice, but how soon do they expect that they would have a final vaccine ready for humans?
2: So the next very important step will be to actually test this thing in clinical trials, meaning injecting it into actual humans. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, they're sort of hopeful that the human trials can begin in June or July. And that, Lydia says, would put them on track for developing an actual vaccine that can be used for mass consumption early next year, which kind of sounds far away, but is incredibly fast. Normally, vaccines can take like a decade, even 15 years to develop. So they're really speeding up this process.
0: And how does that timeline stack up against other companies around the world, potential rivals to Lydia?
2: You've got a lot of companies speeding things up around the world. I mean, you've got governments trying to remove bureaucratic hurdles and speed up approval procedures there's a chinese company that is already moving into the clinical trial phase and recruiting for human trials they're all moving at an incredible unbelievable clip because now they are in a race against time in curevac they're kind of considered to be among the leading aid companies to be working on this mm-hmm. Do you think it's possible that your team could be the first to develop an actual vaccine on the market?
3: That could be. That could be. I mean, that you cannot know at this moment because I think there are other, when I see the data from other companies, I think that there are other very promising approaches, but, but ours is also. So, yeah.
2: And do you think that that's why President Trump tried to buy your company?
3: Yeah, it was like, oh, where is this coming from? Yeah, that was like really and, and And that's then, probably
2: why President Trump approached that company and made a really unusual offer.
0: We'll be right back.
1: This podcast is supported by Comcast Business. It's another day and another unknown. It could be the day you open a new location or the day where nothing goes right. Whatever your day brings, Comcast Business can help you handle it with gig speeds, reliable connectivity and advanced cybersecurity solutions, all backed by an expert team 24-7. Every day in business is a big day. Comcast Business will keep you ready for what's next. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds may vary. Call for details.
0: So, Catherine, what was this unusual offer from the Trump administration?
2: Yeah, it, it was a very unusual offer. So it started a couple of weeks ago when I was home on a Sunday with my family. And I checked my social media, just sort of checking what's going on. And the story was making the rounds about the American president having approached this German vaccine maker. So I called my editors, and we decided to look into it.
0: And what did you
3: find?
2: So we learned that one day in early March, there's this meeting at the White House.
3: Well, thank you very much. Today, we're meeting with the pharmaceutical and biotechnology companies, the biggest in the world, Uh, most prestigious, the ones that get down to the bottom line very quickly to discuss how the federal government can accelerate the development of vaccines and therapeutic treatments for the coronavirus. We
2: the White House basically invites two dozen order. companies to a roundtable discussion about the prospects of developing a vaccine against COVID-19, the coronavirus.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm John Schreiber. I head vaccine research, for developer vaccine. I'm Len Schreiber, the founder and CEO of DeGeneron. and Stephen Borsell, I'm the CEO of Moderna.
2: And these companies were all American, all except one.
1: Thank you, Mr. President, Mr. Vice President. Thanks for having me here. this afternoon. I'm Dan Manicella, CEO of CureVac. Uh, we're a clinical stage biotech company.
2: CureVac. So, Lydia's company. Right. The key point here being that we believe we can develop the vaccine for COVID-19
4: very, very quickly. And we have the wherewithal to manufacture it, although we would like some additional help on our largest GMP4 facility. Um, again, we appreciate the opportunity to be here today. And uh, thank you very thank much. You. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
2: And we don't know the exact sequence of events, but two weeks after this meeting... President Trump has been accused of trying to lure a German pharmaceutical company working on a coronavirus vaccine to the US. This German newspaper reports that Trump offered the company $1 billion to relocate to the United States. Wow. It quotes an unnamed German government official who said he worried that Trump wants exclusive access to a future vaccine that he basically wants to secure access to this vaccine for Americans first. So in Germany, you can imagine, this obviously sets up a stir. And you basically have people scrambling to get the narrative right. You have American officials saying that the reports were quote, overblown. Responding to the report, the U.S. Ambassador to Germany, Richard Grinnell, wrote on Twitter, the Welt story was wrong. Then the company rejects the claim outright, although its majority shareholder pretty much confirms that an approach had been made. So no one really knows what exactly happened, except that the CEO of the company, an American who had run it for two years, leaves the company Hmm. and he's replaced by a German just a few days after that meeting. And then two days later, This Chinese company offers $133 million to another leading German company, also working on a vaccine.
0: And Katrin, what is your understanding of the logic from both China and the United States? What are they trying
2: to accomplish? So behind this race is a pretty harsh, but pretty simple reality. And it's one that Lydia herself talked about. Any new vaccine that is effective against the coronavirus, is certain to be in short supply initially. Hmm. So those who develop it first will try to ensure that their own people are first in line for it.
0: So whoever controls the company nationally controls that early distribution of the vaccine, whether that's Germany or China or the United States.
2: Exactly. And people actually remember... The world is now at the start of the 2009 influenza pandemic. The swine flu. The government said today that H1N1 flu has caused more than 1,000 deaths.
4: And it spread when and the
2: swine flu came along the... in 2009 and an Australian mm-hmm. company was the first to bring a single-dose vaccine to market, it was obliged at the time by its own government to service the Australian market first before honoring export orders mm-hmm. to the United States and other countries.
1: Well, the World Health Organization says there's not enough swine flu vaccine for everyone. Manufacturers
2: That really rattled the United States. It kind of spurred this outrage. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for convening this uh, important hearing. H1N1 has been dominant. You had congressional hearings. Everyone wanted to know why there was a shortfall. From the folks I hear from in my district, They can't find the vaccines. When I called the 18 hospitals in my district, each one of them asked, where's the vaccine that we were told was coming? And, you know, swine flu is not on the same scale as this coronavirus. So this could potentially be a lot more serious. And all of a sudden, that's the urgency that we see unfolding. And and that's the urgency that has now led to this kind of nationalist patriotic instinct to come out in several countries. Mm -hmm. You'd think, Michael, that everybody would benefit if we would just work together and made sure that this vaccine was produced and then dispersed kind of to the people who need it most first and so on. The problem is that there is going to be a shortage. And so there's a certain Mm. amount of rationality in trying to get your hands on it first by governments who represent their own people, even more so as we find ourselves in this Historic moment where nationalism populism have been on the rise and where the trust level between governments are pretty low.
0: So, in that sense, the fight over this vaccine is a bit of a proxy for a larger question, right? Which is will this become a nationalist moment, this pandemic, despite the fact that it's also an incredibly global moment and a reminder of our connectedness.
2: Exactly. And it's actually good to come back to the scientists for a moment, because the, the scientists have a very clear answer to all of this. They think this is about global cooperation. They think this is a global problem that needs a global solution. And even though they mm. all work for companies that, you know, in normal times are in competition with one another, they are adamant that they want to work together. It all started, in fact, if you go back to January 10th, with the publication of the genetic sequencing of this virus. That was a Chinese scientist that posted this genetic code online for every scientist Mm -hmm. in the world to see. And that's when scientists across the world started working toward a common goal in their view,
3: Again, I can understand that individual governments are thinking first about their population because that is their job. That, I mean, my, my job is to make a vaccine that can protect people worldwide. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm not making a vaccine that can only protect Europeans or, or Americans. So, so my job is to get a good vaccine out. So why would I first want to vaccinate somebody in my country who anyway is a very low risk? Versus somebody in another country who is perhaps uh, protecting and 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 trying to cure other people with the risk of his life. so 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 make the decisions based on medical need and and common sense and not on political agenda.
2: Lydia, thank you so very much. You've already done so much important work, and I wish you guys. The best of luck and yeah. stay healthy.
3: Yeah, you too stay 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 uh, at home and and don't meet too much too many people and and stay in good shape so that we are all ready to be vaccinated when, when the vaccine is ready and can go back to a normal life in a normal should. world
0: on Wednesday. The Times reported that the global scientific community has overwhelmingly rejected the US and Chinese government characterization of coronavirus research as a biotech arms race. Never before, those researchers say, have so many experts in so many countries focused simultaneously on a single scientific quest with so much urgency, exchanging information as it becomes available and launching clinical trials that rely on laboratories and hospitals from around the world.
4: We'll be right back.
1: Our goals aren't as out of reach as we once thought, because things are coming back. And if there's anything we've learned, it's that there's no time like the present. At U.S. Bank, we take the time to understand you to help get you to where you really want to be by getting to the root of any financial obstacle so you can move forward. Because side by side, there's no telling how far you'll go. U.S. Bank. We'll get there together. Equal Housing Lender, member FDIC.
0: Here's what else you need to know today. Thank you very much, everyone.
3: Our country is in the midst of a great national trial, unlike any we have ever faced before.
0: During a a briefing on Tuesday from the White House, President Trump issued his most dire warning yet about the pandemic telling Americans that it would ravage the country for the next few weeks.
3: I want every American to be prepared for the hard days that lie ahead. We're going to go through a very tough two weeks.
0: The president then turned over the podium to public health officials, who revealed estimates of the U.S. death toll from the coronavirus, with and without attempts to keep Americans at home, based on multiple academic studies.
4: In their estimates... They had between 1.5 million and 2.2 million people in the United States succumbing to this virus, without mitigation. Yet, through their detailed studies and showing us what social distancing would do, what people, what would happen if people stayed home, what would happen if people were careful every day to wash their hands and worry about touching their faces. And it takes us down to 100 to 200,000 deaths, which is still way too much. There's no magic bullet. There's no magic vaccine or therapy. It's just behaviors. Each of our behaviors translating into something that changes the course of this viral pandemic over the next 30 days. Thank you.
0: On Tuesday, several more states and cities ordered residents to remain in their homes, including Washington, D.C., Virginia, and Maryland.
2: This is a deadly public
4: health crisis. We are no longer asking or suggesting that Marylanders stay home. We are directing them to do
2: so.
0: That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Bavaro. See
4: you tomorrow. You know, you could be listening to this podcast on the beach right now, on Amelia Island. Imagine 13 miles of wide-open, breathtaking coastline with tranquil sand dunes and smiles that stretch as wide as the horizon. The breeze is just a little softer, the days are a little brighter, and the pace a little slower. Perfect for your much-needed escape. Discover the Northeast Florida barrier island where the moments are always a little sweeter. Visit www.ameliaescape.com.